0: So welcome. This is David Fontaine. Welcome to the Feed It Social uh, podcast. Um, Really, our goal is to help technology professionals establish their thought, leadership, voice, and stories. Um, And this podcast, you know, shares certainly some ideas of mine and, you know, based on research and best practices and my own experience, but also um, ideally to bring other um, folks um, who are experts in their field to share their experience um, and have one of my favorites, uh, favorite experts on the line today, Judy Durango-Wicks. Um, Judy, thanks for joining us.
1: I'm happy to be here, and you're one of my favorites too, David.
0: Well, thank you very much. We'll <laughs> get that out of the way. Checks in the mail. Yeah. Uh, or actually, it's in Venmo. So, and Bill, um, P- Bill Pay. <laughs> yeah, Bill Pay or Venmo. We don't do paper <laughs> checks. Uh, there's there more to come on that. But uh, Judy, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of your background, um, you know, so folks can understand, you know, your your experience and what you're bringing to the conversation today.
1: Uh, well, thanks. Uh, I spent 35 years in public relations, and I actually got on the track with technology before it was a, a specialty. I got into office equipment um, and then uh, ended up working on software and with work with IBM and worked with uh, Checkfree and Fiserv as the adoption of uh, digital payments took off, and so I've I've got I've seen a lot of change in how it occurs and how you manage it, and in doing so, how you manage crises because things always happen, and uh, the crisis we're in now has brought up so many memories of past experiences. Um, so I'm glad you're, you're wisely looking at what's happened in the past because we can certainly l- learn from that. And we are certainly oh, seeing how this crisis, um, it spurs adoption of new things. So it's all very interesting. Uh, technology adoption being impacted by crises is not a new thing.
0: Right. Well, and what's interesting is it's very timely. Obviously the Harvard Business Review, there's a special issue that just you know arrived at my house and it's titled how to lead in a time of crisis. And the first item they cover is crisis communication. So obviously top of mind, we're, we're seeing that play out, you know, geopolitically, we're seeing that play out in, you know, the business environment, technology, really every industry is touched by this. So um, certainly very, very um, timely. And you know, one of the things that, and and I know you're going to share a lot of experience from you know behavior change models and your work in a lot of different areas. Um, one of the things I'm interested in is is kind of the idea of how to, you know, walk the proverbial tightrope um, around you know balancing education in the midst of a crisis without kind of being an, turning into an opportunistic villain, right? So, you know, balancing. The, the the delivery of a message to educate and to improve people's lives, um, you know, without again seeming opportunistic. So I know the crisis communication field is a and topic is a broad one. Um, where would you like to start with your experience?
1: Well, I thought I'd start in the '80s, from when I worked on the AIDS crisis, um, and again as a marketer. So in the '80s. I was working with Carter Wallace, which was Nair Pearl Drops, Sea and Ski in Extra Dry. And we were happily doing spring break marketing in Daytona. Um, And MTV was brand new. So, you know, you're worrying about how, how am I going to get on MTV? So we had a Jan and Dean who were, uh, you know, beach music, great, great guys uh, to do a concert. And, Uh, In 1986, that's what we did, and it all worked out well. In 87, however, right before spring break, uh, the AIDS crisis had uh, picked up, and the Surgeon General in January announced that condoms were the best prevention against STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. And the client called and said, we have this other brand, Trojan. And we want you to throw out the plan you had for spring break and focus a hundred percent on pushing the Trojan brand at spring break. So immediately I, I remember saying to the guy, my dad won't let me work on that. I was o- <laughs> I was only about 26 years old. Right. And uh, no. Um so, but, uh, and also no one said the word condom before this, it was not said in polite society. So here's sure. the challenge right here. How do you market something nobody wants to talk about? And they were, behind, taboo. right. And they were behind the counter. So we looked so yeah, again, you always have to step back and look at what was true before this crisis. So, You look for the barriers to adoption. One of the barriers was asking for a condom uh, or asking, uh, you know, the pharmacist. Um, And we found that girls all of a sudden are supposed to expect boys to bring condoms or, you know, there are all kinds of things that were impacted there. So what we stepped back and looked at spring break and immediately people say, oh, so you gave away condoms at spring break? no. That is not what we did. You have to be a responsible corporate citizen. So what we saw was the opportunity to survey all the kids from all over the country who showed up in Daytona and determined what was their behavior and what what behavior change was happening. And we repeated that every year and released the results. We did this for three years, and uh, they actually kept studying it for years after I was gone. So... So you look for a chance to be a responsible expert by bringing facts to a crisis when everybody is kind of losing their minds. Sure. And sorry, my phone is ringing. Well, at least it's not a fact. Just wait a second. Yeah. No, it ain't no facts. (laughs) That's awesome. So let me back up. So. So one was to overcome. So we created giveaways. There was a we made a gold card that looked like an American Express card, but it, what it said on it in big letters: "If you hand it to the pharmacist, may I please have a box of Trojan brand condoms?" And we gave them out uh, at the mall intercept place at the in Daytona. Uh, we gave those out as gifts. We had a march on the beach for safe sex, and we gave out. Uh, foam rubber trojan helmets which are pretty cool and so but we did that to have a photo opportunity back then you wanted to get a photo picked up by ap and then it would be printed in every newspaper in america so you look for that photo so we had an army of people marching on the beach wearing the brand the helmet on their head um And then we released the results and we got cover stories in Newsweek and lots of other publications um, that said that, no, young people, oddly enough, were not changing their behavior because they didn't know anyone. Uh, And I've heard that said recently with the COVID-19 crisis, people say, I don't know anyone who's sick. Do you? And, and the lesson we learned was if it, You know, when it becomes part of your social circle, it's too late. You need to practice safe behaviors before you know someone who is sick. Um, So it's just odd to hear some of the same things being said. Something else about AIDS was that early on, they really didn't know how it was being transmitted. So as we're seeing, wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. All these discussions in the media right now. Um, you know, you in a couple years we'll know a whole lot more about this disease than we do right now. So you you really do have to be safe, m- more safe than sorry.
0: That's interesting. And I I was thinking about the you know, the gold card. And, you know, it's, it's almost like a, you know, the bank robber that goes in and hands a note to the cash, you know, the cashier exactly. the teller and says, you know, give me all your money. So was that, that was kind of, I assume, you know, designed to break through the taboo and uh, the social stigma of somebody actually asking, you know, saying the words out loud and being, you know, embarrassed that they're asking for. Uh, condoms right exactly is is that kind of the idea behind it is removing those barriers so and we used
1: we used it with the media because we sent a press kit to like all the women's magazines Uh, so we had it I was looking for something quick to get into these women's magazines so they would in glamour and vogue and places like that they would show a picture of the gold card and how to order one um, so it also helped as a visual to get into the press.
0: Well, and, the, and birth control, um, you know, was often the,
1: the
0: I guess, the choice or the, the responsibility, I don't know what the right word is, the cho- choice, the responsibility the benefit. that women would take on. The, right? benefit the benefit of safe
1: sex can include, yeah.
0: Yeah, but at, but you know, I think a lot of guys, at least in in that era, probably thought, well, that's not my problem, and and so you know, creating tools that create conversations and remove the you know the embarrassment factor, and or arm um, you know women with more information and tools to kind of demand different behaviors. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so was that was that part of the thinking as well? The kind of the um, you know targeting different. Um, you know, mindsets and concerns and, and behaviors to kind of drive uh, behavior on both ends of the transaction. Well, it also opened will.
1: a whole new segment because before then only boys bought condoms. So if you think about okay. it, it really uh, made a, a much larger untapped segment of girls buying their own condoms uh, and expecting boys to practice safe sex okay so now you have you know girls girls having condoms in there and you know these are college students and older of course we're targeting not younger um so it was a it was a new segment
0: well and and fast forward a few years after that i had a friend whose mom was a pharmacist and uh, she was uh, notorious of just handing out condoms, you know, wherever she went to make sure that, uh, you know, even if somebody was too shy to ask that she was uh, breaking through that and making sure they were at least uh, available to folks.
1: Yes. Well, and so that's, that was one of the outcomes is uh, is there was behavior change after AIDS. um, That's really never gone back. I think safe sex is still, expected um, which is not a bad thing absolutely so
0: how did that um, that experience translate into uh, kind of future activity you mentioned check-free um, online bill payment five you know with digital payments and the rise of that and how did you apply those lessons to um, to that world
1: So years later, I was uh, head of corporate communications at Check Free, and uh, 9-11 happened. And if you remember 9-11, for about a month there, everybody, well, and longer, people felt personally kind of punched in the gut, you know, everybody felt a little weak and a little afraid and also rallied, you know, USA, USA, but the punch to your confidence was felt. And um, for about a month there, all the media, everybody was being so nice to each other. So these New York press, especially, when you would get on the phone with these reporters, you'd always start off by saying, is your family okay or you're okay? You know. And we're seeing that today with, with a push for empathy and compassion and generosity, which again, are all good things. But about a month later, uh, this anthrax issue erupted, where uh, you know, mail. Uh, it turned out was one crazy person was mailing envelopes with anthrax in it to to prominent people, and all of a sudden, the media flipped back to being uh, like a Shark Tank. My phone started ringing off the wall because they all got the idea at the same time. Oh, won't anthrax be great? for bill pay, which was a horrible thought, but many of them had it. So my phone started ringing off the wall and we had to go back to being a little more careful about talking to reporters. And what I found was there were a certain segment that were looking for a fear story. They wanted to write about how are people afraid or very, very afraid of their mailbox. And that was not the message we were trying to get across. We were trying to talk about all the benefits of bill pay about convenience and not paying late fees on your bills and and uh, saving time and saving stamps and all those other benefits. And we found that some reporters weren't at all interested in in telling that story. They just wanted to talk about fear. So. Uh, In a crisis or in any kind of marketing situation, you always want to step back and go, okay, where am I trying to go? And what are my best benefits to get there And selling what I'm selling and try to stick to that? So what we did in that case was we actually had our agency screen the media calls and put them into a bucket. And if they just wanted to quote, they wanted me to be a source on how afraid people were, I didn't want to talk to them. But if they wanted to do a story about bill pay and all the reasons why you might want to try it, we did talk to those people and we ended up with some beautiful stories. Uh, the most perfect one was in USA Today and, you know, that achieved exactly what we wanted. Over time, there was adoption. Another thing you have to caution yourself with, with a crisis like this, is it's like a vortex. If you dive into the vortex, it's, it's a negative vortex. You don't want your name associated with a pandemic when the pandemic is over. So I kept thinking, why in the world would I want to be associated, have our brand next to anthrax in the same paragraph? So you want to avoid that. And you want to, um, you want to, uh, so we had another guy with the Associated Press who kept calling me. And a month later, I met the gal from Hallmark Cards. He misquoted both of us. Uh, He, you know, basically, you can tell when they call, they already had their story written and they just wanted to plug in your quote. And they need
0: one more source.
1: Exactly. So that it looks like he's done a fully sourced article. And so in the paragraph introducing me, he says what he wants to say, you know, that you know people are very afraid and then you look at my quote and that is not what I said and he put in the you know in the mouth of the Hallmark Cards girl that uh, that people were going to be afraid of Christmas cards of course she would never have said that (laughs) but we we actually met face to face I was like yes you're the one we, we commiserated about how awful this one reporter was so so santa claus watch out for
0: santa claus and the easter bunny and exactly uh, (laughs) yeah and uncle sam
1: on fourth of july yes we're all coming for you exactly so you do have to be very you have to use discernment in a crisis because people are losing their minds and try to stick to the plan or adjust your plan in such a way that it is responsible so again using the aids and using the Check free. We always use market research and release the research, so it's useful information for everyone to use. Um, is always a good approach, and and it can cut through the clutter of you know what everybody else has. If you have something that's actually good stuff, the media will use it if you find the right media.
0: Well, I think you you made a good point earlier. Um, this this idea, the FOMO, fear of miss, missing out. Um, it's okay to miss out yeah. <clears throat> on the wrong opportunities and to be and to have discernment and to be picky, um, understand, you know, that you will have another opportunity um, even if you pass on certain ones that that don't fit those criteria of what you're trying to, to achieve.
1: Yes. Um, and I uh, and, and, go ahead. Well,
0: I just, it, you know, We live in a world now where, you know, news cycles are even more compressed. You know, people just run with, you know, whatever idea that they have and they publish it on a blog and all of a sudden people start reporting on that. Um, You know, there's this this rush to, uh, you know, publish and to comment and, you know, getting caught up in that, um, you know, is is not necessarily a win for
1: anybody. Right. Um, I would also caution your your uh, read your audience um when you're a startup company uh, one of the temptations of course is to say yes bill pay is going to take off like crazy right now and uh i was we had an excellent ceo who said you know hold back because the last thing you need is for a spokesperson to say yes we're going to have great growth this quarter and then you don't have great growth growth that quarter and that's not good for the reputation of a stock or, or a startup company. So you don't want to over, you know, um, predict and again, jump into that vortex because three months from now, when the numbers come out, you might have to eat those words. Right.
0: Well, that's a great point. Um, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about the, you know, HIV AIDS, um, you know, how you addressed, um, you know, behavior change in that, you know, anthrax, you know, was a flash in the pan, um, you know, moment. Um, but, you know, both of those were crises, um, you know, one short lived the other, you know, longer term, you know, issue that we're, you know, we're still dealing with today. Um, in terms of, kind of crisis communication. And I, I, you know, I studied public relations, As you know, uh, for the audience, Judy and I worked together actually at check free. So a lot of the stories she's telling right now, you, lived uh, it. you know, I, I lived it. Um, so we were, you know, part of a lot of this, the, this back and forth conversations and planning and strategy and, uh, and all the, all the rest, but, um, you know, the, there, you know, that we study things like the Tylenol, tylenol um, you know, crisis, right, with, um, you know, cyanide or the Three Mile Island, you know, crisis as, you know, models to follow that were effective or models that were not effective, right, and learning from, you know, previous crises to improve how we respond to future crises, Um so I wanted to kind of dig into crisis communications a little bit, Judy. Um, I think if, if somebody who's not steeped in PR or journalism or marketing, maybe they're in IT or operations, they would be familiar with like business continuity planning or even disaster planning, right? Yes. Um, how does crisis communications dovetail with those disciplines? Maybe a little bit how it's different. Um, and then we can maybe talk a little bit more about Um, kind of the planning that goes into it and some of the, you know, those tried and true um, lessons that have come from, you know, all of these previous crises.
1: Well, uh, the first thing to know about crisis planning is by simply having a crisis plan, you improve your response time when an actual crisis comes, even if the crisis isn't the one you predicted because they rarely do happen the way you predict. Uh, The fact that you've gone through the exercise and thought through all the steps and, you know, have a phone list or email list prepared of of all the people you would reach out to and what the primary motivation is of all the audiences you'd want to communicate with, employees, investors, uh, you know, executive teams, customers, their customers, Uh, By going through that exercise, when things are calm, that's the first step. So uh, companies of any size, what what you do is sit back and think, what's everything that could go wrong? Um, In a public company, a lot of times those things are in a paragraph in your annual report that says this could go wrong, that could go wrong. So that uh, you think through all the things that could go wrong and then how you would react under the best of circumstances. Um, then uh, when a crisis happens you have to have it very clear who's going to do what and uh, you know have tracks and assign leads to tracks and keep regrouping because the crisis is never static it keeps changing and you have to keep altering your plans and your messages throughout to get through it and you want to get to the long game you know what's you wanna get through it and past it because someday the crisis will be over. So again, you avoid the temptation of jumping into the crisis itself and try to weather it and and tightrope walk over the vortex so that when it's over, you're still healthy. Um, and, and as I said, you don't usually wanna be associated with that long-term. So try not to be so inextricably marketing yourself Next to this crisis because I hopefully the crisis is going to be over and you're going to survive so um, I uh, also you always want to be truthful and honest say I don't know when you don't know I'll get back to you and so on and not not misspeak uh, and then have to defend what you've said and then you've got your own new crisis that you've created all by your little self. So you have to be more careful during a crisis than you are uh, on an on an average day. Um, but there are also opportunities in crises. I'm thinking right now, uh, you know, remote workplace. All these bosses that didn't want to let people work at home, all of a sudden, you can work at home. Um, and but do you have the bandwidth um, for your for this many people to be logging on? Collaboration is taking off using Zoom and Teams in new ways. So some of the change can be good. Um, I noticed yesterday, uh, Wells Fargo says that mobile bank deposits. So this is a product that we developed like years ago called Remote Deposit Capture, where you take a picture of a check and deposit it. And 80, it's up 81% year to year. All of a sudden, people are getting these checks from the government at home, and they don't want to go to the drive-through, so they've figured out how to take a picture of it. And the banks are making it easy to learn how to do it. And that'll never change. Uh, people will probably continue to do that forever. Um after 9-11, the United States noticed that it kind of didn't make sense that we'd been putting paper checks and letting them fly all the way to San Francisco and then put them in a package and fly them all the way back to your bank so they can stuff them in your bank statements. That pe- People right. figured out that's a lot of waste and gas flying paper checks all over the country. They The regulations changed afterward. It's called Check 21. And that's why you don't get your paper checks anymore. Uh, They send you an image of your check and they gave the bank's permission to destroy the paper check um, after they're done with it. So you're gonna see a lot of positive change after this. I've noticed that um, the portals for grandparents, one of my brothers, my parents are 92 years old and my brother took them a portal. And so now they're getting to facially see their, great, their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, which is so much healthier for them than before. They're not going to use Zoom, but this Facebook portal is so easy, even a grandparent can use it. And all of a sudden, my parents are using it.
0: Right. So, Well, there's another example of behavior change, you know, out of necessity. Yes, it,
1: it can accelerate behavior change uh, in ways you never anticipated. And so technology adoption of lots of different types of technologies this is an opportunity uh, to look at whatever it is you're promoting and, and how you can bridge to the new future
0: well one of the things you, um, you you talked about was you know telling the truth and and it's interesting in in communications and quite frankly a lot of things they seemed like you know what's the the, the book, Everything I Ever Learned, that I Needed to Know I Learned in kindergarten, right. um, you know, there are these certain truths that just kind of keep coming up over and over again. And, um, you know, the the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, even if facts and the idea of fact checking and social media has now become a hot button issue politically, um, that, you know, the truth you know truth and facts still matter and transparency still matters and you know what's interesting is in in the you know in the covid environment uh there's an article that just came out in fast company that talked about how the public perception of CEOs has shifted during the pandemic and those that were transparent and showed empathy and um and other kind of those leadership qualities have risen in terms of um, you know, the public perception of them as leaders. Um, and so those things are still important. So, you know, a lot of those leaders that they track are actually in the tech space. And, you know, given that you've worked in the tech space for a, a good long while, um, you know, who are maybe some of the, the leaders that you think did a good job? Um, if there are others that maybe didn't do as good a job, I don't know if you want to name them or not, but you know, what did you learn from those that did it well and those who didn't
1: do it well? Um gosh, I'd have to think to name names, but I, I will say the the song True Colors keeps going through my mind, you know, true colors come shining through in a crisis. Yeah. And one of the lessons is that you also can't create relationships as well during a crisis. So it is important if you're managing a CEO or an executive that the relationships are established as part of business as usual, because in a crisis they really can pay off. Um, I had a CEO, uh, I had just taken on a press tour to New York and he uh, you know made really good relationships with a lot of people and a few months later, uh, uh, a curmudgeon columnist accused him of, um, you know, knowing that this one quarter was going to be bad, you know, like eight quarters earlier. It was not a realistic or fair thing to be accused of. And I expected my phone to ring off the wall, and it didn't. And about noon, I got a call from a great guy from CNBC, Um uh, Mike Hegedus. And he said, did you get a lot of calls today? And I said, no, I was shocked. I thought they would all call about this horrible column attacking my CEO. And he said, you know why? He says, because we all met that guy. We saw him face to face. We knew he would never do anything to hurt your company. And nobody right. took that story. So somebody throwing rocks at you You protect yourself by having 25, 50, 100 reporters who know your boss so that when the one bad guy starts throwing rocks, uh, it doesn't doesn't happen. I I was actually shocked when that happened, but it, it just showed the payoff of having good relationships with the most important media and analysts in your space.
0: Well, and, and I would, I would believe that, you know, that holds true with any community. Um, you know, if you've put the time and the effort in to be transparent and build those relationships, whether it's in the, you know, the press or the, you know, analyst community, uh, hopefully with customers, those are important employees, any of these relationships, you know, those are still based on the same, you know, principles of trust and transparency, you know, empathy, Um you know, and, and a lot of these kind of core values that, um, you know, really don't go out of style. Um, So. And it's also an opportunity to to build
1: loyalty. I mean, the way you behave in a crisis, people can say, I'm going to buy from that company forever. I just love what they did, or I love what they did in this community. And um, you, you know, you can have somebody be loyal for the rest of their lives on how you respond or don't respond negatively, um, in this situation.
0: Well, and I, 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 would agree that that also extends to other, you know, relationships, not just customers, but employees as well. And, um, you know, I, I saw a, uh, conversation on, I don't know if it was LinkedIn or where it was, but it was talking about, a a CEO that this person worked for who uh, even in this down um, with all these people laid off that this person's approach to new employees was not, you know, Hey, what can you do for me? It was, let me, let me tell you where this company is going, what the vision is and, you know, how we would love to have you join us, right? Flipping the script instead of, Hey, you're lucky to join us is we'd be, be lucky to have you. And I thought that was a very, uh, insightful way for, um, it's like, well, if you're going to bring somebody onto your company to work for you, you know, you want them bought in, you want them, you want to retain them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just that slight, you know, clever twist of, of transparency and how to approach that relationship, I think to me, seems like that would pay dividends down the road.
1: Yeah. You want to, as you know, we had the culture of achievement campaign, uh, You know, and it it tied into what he knew people's real motivations were. I know you're here to support your family, you know, not to drink my Kool-Aid. And people worked tirelessly, you know, toward the same goal. When you can get everybody, uh, you know, pulling in the same direction, the whole company can, can really overcome great challenges together. And you do it together, and then you're all rewarded, that uh, and then you have a healthy culture, which is money can't buy that.
0: Well, and for the uh, for the folks listening who don't get uh, get the inside reference here, we're we're talking about Pete Kite, who was the uh, founder, CEO, and and uh, chairman of Checkfree uh, before um, FISERV acquired the company a number of years ago. Um, so that I I think clearly would Pete would be one of the the great examples of leaders uh, you know in, in times of crisis and also in times of um, you know just regular business operations.
1: Yes, when you have a CEO who's ethical and uh, hardworking and honest and generous, uh, uh, your your job is much easier. Uh, in in representing such a person and and the media and er everyone who knew him came to respect him.